in the long haul, when you keep the like that focus and that consistency of following things based on something bigger than your idea about the industry you're in or the titles you want or the place even necessarily like you want to work or the money you're going to make, but have like some higher reason to the, those decisions you're making in time with persistence and consistency. I have found myself take big leaps after long periods of struggle. What I had wanted to do starting from really being like a little kid was tell stories from people from all walks of life. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Begin. Hi, welcome back to Be Bold Begin. I am Barcy, your host. And we have a guest today that I'm really looking forward to talking with and learning more about his journey and his perspective on choosing a creative path. And I'll tell you what I know of him so far. His name is Mike Rauch, and he is an animation executive and the co-founder of Rauch Brothers, an animation studio that he created with his brother. And the two of them went on to create projects for Nickelodeon, Warner Brothers, and created StoryCorps animated shorts on PBS's documentary program, POV, just to name a few. And then Mike went on to work with Cartoon Network as a series executive on a number of popular shows, which is actually how you and I have one degree removed. It's because of Brandy Lynn. I've mentioned her on the show before. She works with me now as my assistant, but she was Mike's assistant first at Cartoon Network and is his assistant again now that he's working for himself once more. And luckily, Brandy had the brilliant idea to connect us. And I'm really glad that she did because here we are today. So welcome, Mike. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to talk. Yay, absolutely. We chatted a little bit before and I really enjoyed that conversation. So I know that we're going to enjoy this one and diving in a little more with your journey, honestly, and finding out what you love about creativity and your process and how you came to be where you are now. So there's a few things I noticed when I was researching you that I thought were really cool. So I just want to read a couple of those if you're okay with that. Yeah. So one thing I saw on LinkedIn, something that resonated with me was that your statement of what you do is you use entrepreneurial, creative and production experience to help artists and entertainment companies do their best work. I really like that 
for so many reasons. One, I feel I have a hard time figuring out how to convey that same thing that I feel like I do. And as a creator, sometimes it's hard to figure out like, how are we sharing this space with the people we're creating with that might be in a business sense? That just like a light bulb went off when I read that. I was like, oh yeah, that's what this is. It's It's being creative, but finding ways to really help other people maximize their creativity as well. I just wanted to point that out. There's some awesome alignment there. And this I found really interesting. You have an ideals guide on your website for Rouch Rouch Brothers. Mm -hmm. There's six of them, but there's a few that really stood out to me. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a couple of them. Constant growth and improvement. You say, we ask ourselves and our clients to experiment, take risks and be challenged And that's the path to transformative growth and improvement. I love that you are interested in creating transformation and improvement with every person and project you work with. I think that says a lot. You also have good work is built on trust. You have be inclusive and you say it's the right thing and it's smart business. Also amazing. And then be passionate and do your best work. So I highlight that because it feels so driven by integrity and core values, which that's what we talk a lot about on this show. And just my whole thing is all about connecting to the core and making sure you're aligned to create better products and have a better process and experience. To me, that's the holistic way of really approaching anything. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, (laughs) it's right there on the website. What a wonderful way to create boundaries and understand anyone who shows up wanting to work with you. They really get a sense of what the process might look like. Totally. Yeah. And I think that was part of wanting to have that like clearly on our website. We stopped running the studio several years ago when I started at Cartoon Network and my brothers also moved on to other things, but still like have to go do something with that website, you know, and just want to lose it. So somehow <laughs> got to update that to where things are now, but, sure. but really wanted to have that like kind of front and center on our website when people showed up, you know, potential clients in particular, but anybody who might want to work with us or just likes our work from understand who we are, what we're about. And like, to me, it was it sort of hopefully was going to do two things in particular when it came to like people who wanted to hire us, which was set like a clear understanding of what it would be like to work with us, how we would approach things, how we would ask them to approach things so that either then they would see that and go like, awesome, perfect. We're you know, like, we're aligned and this would be, you know, a great partnership. Let's work together. And so in that you're starting from that basis of some of the things that were most important to us. And then on the other hand, like if these don't fit you, you know, we're probably not a fit. And so hopefully can work as a filter in that way. Yeah. Which I think still like there were times when you thought you kind of talked it through with people kind of like how you were going to approach things and you got started and you realize like they didn't want to take risks or something like that. They didn't want to try to experiment or push things, um, try Mm -hmm. stuff out. And so then you like try to set up processes where like you could identify those things early on before you were like necessarily even doing the project. And when we onboarded clients, like I would give them those six kind of principles as like, a one sheet when we got started, like, you know, let's read this, like, please read this before our first call. We'll talk about this a little bit and kind of what it means to us. And for me, a big part of where that came from was, I mean, first of all, I think like that thinking is behind how I tend to do things anyways, but I read this book, I think it's called 
what management is, which sounds <laughs> totally like a different book than it is. But I think it's just like a foundational business book. And one of the things, I believe it was that book. It might have been Good to Great. Those are two like business mm. books I really liked early on when I was starting out running that studio. And one of the things, and it actually might be Good to Great now that I think about it, that lays this out, which, and they laid out kind of like, compared companies that were in the same business and one would be a company which over the long haul kind of failed mm -hmm. and then the other succeeded over the long haul and some like sort of circumstances that should have been similar for both in other words like there weren't other factors that should have been like the reason for success or failure so mm -hmm. that they could try as best they could to look inside the company and see like what were they doing are there consistent themes across all the companies we looked at that translated to success and one of the most kind of foundational ones that they have in that book is have like a clear purpose and principles. And they sort of say, it's like, you know, it should be a limited number of things. If you have like too many, then those are probably not like your really core ones. They're just like mm -hmm. maybe things you'd like or whatever. That really resonated with me. And I started trying to figure out like, what is that for us? And looked at questions of like, what were projects we did that we really loved? Why was that? What was stuff that turned out not to be fun? You know, mm -hmm. what are projects we wouldn't take again? And what does that mean? And we had a lot of conversations about that kind of thing to figure out like what we think those. And I feel like we defined and redefined that stuff as we went. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and, and kind of how you discovered it being an integral part of starting a business as well. Because I think a lot of businesses tend to skip that part because it doesn't feel so important. And one, I relate to the comparison because I was recently going to present on something similar. And I was telling a story about two clients who had the same process. They even started at the same time with the same amount yep. of resources. And we are still working together, actually, both of these clients. And one is doing really well and is extremely consistent and really understands their connection to their vision and their why and their purpose. Mm -hmm. And the other one has struggled with that from the beginning where it's just a little lopsided and yeah. they keep asking the question of, is it worth it versus yeah. being connected to this is why I'm doing this. And this one just struggles a lot. The one that is constantly hitting that same wall without trusting their process yeah. that they're in when the other one was trusting and really, really leaning into those core values that we developed, the foundation that was available to them. And yeah. it makes such a difference, such a different process when we go through it. It does. It does painfully versus aligned, you know? Yeah. It's, I think it can be hard too, though, to figure out what that is. I mean, sometimes it comes easily or parts of it comes easily and then other parts are harder to identify. Yeah. At least in my experience, but it's totally worth it. And it's funny that you said, cause that was exactly what this book was like similar time, similar resources, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking there, like one of the things, and you were saying like, sometimes you, it's easy to like skip over that step initially and just jump to other things, which I think can be okay. Like that's from what I understand a little bit, the theme of your podcast is like people <laughs> begin, like sometimes those, sometimes those things aren't clear right at the beginning Correct. and they yes. become clear by doing work. Like if you're stuck, just trying to figure that stuff out and you haven't done anything and tested your thinking out, then yeah, you might yeah. not know, but in doing work, I think you can start to discover, even if you don't have it all figured out at the beginning, when a project that, you know, doesn't go well or something that you just don't stick with and you just, or something that you can't stop thinking about, then you start to find out what those things are. But that is funny you saying that because like one of the stories that really sticks out to me from that book, Good to Great, I think it was Sony, I want to say was one of their like oh. comparison companies. And I could be getting the story a little bit wrong, but I think it's mostly right. So it was started after some 
major war, not remembering which, <laughs> and the conditions economically and kind of for the business itself, but also like, you know, in the country at the time were like really terrible, just not like it was starting kind of in a, some really super basic environment in terms of getting the business set up. And like the first thing he did was write down, you know, his principles for his business. And that was like what has built and been a part of like what Sony has been years later. But it was just sort of this image of somebody who's like starting. And the first thing they need to do is sell stuff, right? Because <laughs> things are that, you know, rough in terms of where the business is at. Mm. Um, but he made it a priority to like sit down and figure out why, why is he doing this in the first place? I appreciate you saying that. I also appreciate you saying that it doesn't always work in that order because that's true. It, we have to leave room for the discovery and the experience to happen and something to, to test and try. And, but it's the decision-making along the way that needs to be part of the process, right? Like we need to constantly go back and check in with whether it is aligned, whether we are getting to our goal. And if we have a goal, the goal is just to experiment, then maybe that's all you have to do. And maybe it's not the project that's going to be like the project, right? The one that you're going to spend all the time on. But yeah, there's so many ways to talk about this and so many ways that it can happen. But I will say that to simplify when we do check in and, and spend time on that piece, whether it's now, later, throughout, ongoing, the more we connect with that, I feel like the experience just gets better and better, including the experience of others involved with you. Yeah. They get to reap those benefits too. And I think it's a really good, like you said, like connection piece or barrier piece. I'm going to transition a little bit into just more of a creative conversation around it's part business too, because you started a company that's interesting to me that Mm. apparently you're doing something a little bit different now. You said your brother and you kind of went off to do other projects, but you did mention that there was, when we talked before, that there was a reason that you felt you needed to start your own thing. Oh yeah. Can you talk us through that a little bit about what it was that drew you to having your own company ultimately versus, you know, knocking on the gatekeeper's door and waiting for someone to open it? Yeah, it was a few things. I mean, one is I didn't really know how or where to get in. It felt similar to a friend of mine, uh, Ron Wimberly, he's a comic book artist. And I feel like I once heard from him, and I don't know if it was his quote or he's sharing somebody else's, but he said something like, you know, instead of trying to get in the door of somebody else's house, like build your own. And I felt like I didn't exactly know where those doors were. And so there was one thing out of just like necessity, like kind of, if I want to work in animation and I don't know how to get started, I guess maybe I could just try making stuff on my own, which was with my brother, not just on my own. So that was one part of it. Like just, it was a little bit more of a mystery to me. I think there's way more information accessible now about that kind of thing, but all of that was so new in terms of being shared online and that kind of thing at the time. Yeah. And then the other part for me was that didn't really look around and see a lot of work being done that reflected the kind of stuff that I was interested in working on and putting out into the world that I felt like was maybe missing more, especially at that time. Can you talk about what that was real quick? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of felt like a lot of what I saw in animation felt pretty disposable. I kind of just sort of a brief piece of entertainment for a kid coming home from school to laugh at and might not stick that much or matter that much. And that that might be true, might not be true. That was just my impression of things that I was seeing at the time. And regardless of even that was just like what I had wanted to do starting from really being like a little kid was tell stories that had like a very human center to them. Mm. 
and tell stories from like people from all walks of life. And at the time when, when we were getting started, that just wasn't that common of a thing. A lot of the people making the work and a lot of people reflecting the work look like me, you know, like a white cis guy. And that I actually remember like going to some events and kind of like coming home literally sick to my stomach just by <laughs> how kind of, I guess, homogenous it felt like the industry was. And it, mm. I think it's changed a lot and it's changing still, I think, distance to go and learning that I've done along the way for sure too in that respect and just kind of how the industry can be better, how I can be better, how I can be more helpful to making work that's been missing in animation. But so part of it was, yeah, just looking around and going like, I don't know where there's an opportunity to get involved in making the kind of stuff that I don't see. Mm -hmm. So again, like maybe just try making some of the kinds of stuff I'd like to see myself. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's rings true for a lot of us. I can relate where I just wasn't getting the results I wanted. And it's like, well, what else? Like, what can I do? How can I put action to what I really want here and not seeing, not seeing myself reflected back at me in the way that I wanted to either on screen or in literature or on paper, however you want to, whatever you want to point out media wise. So I think that's a journey a lot of us connect with. What was that like for you? What was it like jumping off that cliff? I guess initially, you know, the way we did it was we were just making like independent animated shorts in our Brooklyn basement. And we lived in like a duplex brownstone in Bed-Stuy and like just sort of started making cartoons. We made about like one animated short a year for three years while we were working whatever other jobs that we were doing. And I worked for an oral history project named StoryCorps, which you mentioned the animated shorts that we made with them in that same time period. And well, we had had like a longstanding interest in taking like stories from real life, real people's stories and animating those inspired a lot by a studio in the UK called Ardman. They are like probably best known project might be Wallace and Gromit, but they also did this series of shorts in I want to say the 80s where they would go and they would like record in the lobby of a Salvation Army or they interviewed like an ex-convict. And then they would animate stuff based on that. Some of it was like interpretive and more made up. And some of it was more kind of literal referencing that person's actual story. Mm. They played a little bit with the, with that approach. And that inspired us as kids a lot, I think, because we grew up like super into Disney films in like grade school. That was sort of, for me, Beauty and the Beast was the thing that made me want to be an animator or work in animation because, you know, I had like my first crush at the time. (laughs) And on Bell? watching, no, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bell, yeah. So you saw yourself in the beast a little in bit? The, yeah. And this okay. like unrequited love story. And I was just like Aww. ready to, to have like emotions, you know? Yeah. And I just remember we, I grew up in a big family, so we didn't have a lot of money mm. and we didn't go to movies and that kind of thing, like in the theater. But my brother was like a teenager at the time. We were like six years, maybe eight years apart. Wait, you don't know had like a job at McDonald's. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said, wait, how and how much distance is between you and your brother? You said my six old, or eight. Well, years. I have two brothers, so the oh, one okay. I work with is two years younger, and then the other one is. There's a lot of kids in the family. How many are there? There's six six of us. Yeah, three girls, three boys. Wow! And where do you fall in that? I'm the second to youngest. Okay. So. 
Interesting. So yeah, so I had the good opportunity to go to a feature film <laughs> at the at the theater, which most of us didn't in the family. But because my brother had a job as a teenager, he took us to like the dollar cinema kind of thing. And I remember leaving the theater and just like feeling all this emotion. And it was the first time that I had understood that this thing I liked of cartoons was made by humans because there was like something on ABC or something like behind the scenes look at like the animators and the process of making the film. And so I went there kind of knowing that and then mm-hmm. left there feeling this emotion. And that was the first time that like a cartoon made me feel the thing that way. It didn't just make me laugh. Wow. Um, did that too. Right. And I was like, Whoa. So this thing I like of cartoons, it's like made by real people like drawing, which I also love to do. Like we would, you know, snow day would come and we would just like draw you know, never leave our bedroom until dinner time, kind of thing. Like my mom, like, guys, got to come down now. Wow. And so I put all like all that together, and then realized that that stuff could like make people feel a thing the way I felt a thing. I want to say this was like third or fourth grade, maybe. And so it was sort of from there that I, I wanted to work in animation and, and like give people that same kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the kind of thing too for me as we were getting started out in Brooklyn trying to figure out how to get into animation was like that. I wanted to do work that would impact people and make people feel something. And that had like meaning to it and was, yeah, just had like more weight. And I think that's become something that is more like available to see in animation now and that people are doing even things that are like pretty purely comedic. I think oftentimes have like certainly these days, like an intention of saying something more the work. Mm-hmm. And that's cool too. Like something that just makes you laugh. I love working on those things too. I think my perspective on that has developed a little bit, but I think I always want to also do work that has meaning for people. It sounds like you need the balance yeah, to have yeah. to work on the stuff that feels just entertaining. There needs to be this other part being fulfilled. Totally. Yeah. It sounds very fulfilling what you found when you had that moment after the theater, after watching Beauty and the Beast and this, this moment of like, like an awakening almost. That's for cool. sure. So that's carried you through. Were, were there other moments like that for you? You know, I guess a couple of things that come to mind for me are I lived in New York. I was going to school in Queens on 9 11. Mm. And so that whole experience of everything that followed that day and everything that followed impacted me quite a lot because because I was in New York, which was the center of all of that. And even though I wasn't down there that day, although I did go into the city that day and saw a lot that impacted me pretty heavily, but also kind of had like a lot of classmates or teachers and just my overall like school year experience that year was affected by all that. Like there was rolling like things, just things would happen throughout the, the rest of that school year that even in Queens, it had like ripple effects to our experience that year. Mm. And, and so it just really like impacted me in a way that I think I felt like I didn't really know or understand much about Muslim culture, just generally like the Middle East. And because I had that experience and like most of my reference in a lot of ways, not exclusively, but like was just whatever I could see on TV or film, which is not like a very (laughs) complete representation. I really felt compelled to like get to understand some part of that culture better. So I ended up going to teach English as a foreign language in Turkey, in Istanbul, Wow. And for me, I mean, that was an amazing experience for a lot of reasons, which, you know, if I went into all of it, that would be all we talked about. So what (laughs) what I'll maybe like the one part I'll pull out of it was that, you know, got there and people (laughs) 
ask me about this show. I've never watched a still to this day called Dallas. And for a lot of people, for whatever reason, in Turkey, or at least in Istanbul, which is where I was, their idea about the United States was based on the TV show Dallas. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, what it was, which always mystified them. <laughs> But it kind of like, it left me with two things. I mean, one, although I don't know how much this was part of it at the time for me, but it was a little bit. And certainly now as I think about it, it was just like how much media impacts people's perceptions about the world and other people. If, like this one show is your image of what this country is. Right. And I, and I don't know anything about it. And it probably isn't reflective of my ideas, you know, or my experience, my, my world that I grew up in. And then, which not even like as a judgment thing, good, bad, or other, because I don't know anything about the show, but I'm not from Dallas. So right. I'm pretty sure it's not. It's probably you know. not reflective of your world, your reality. Yeah. Although I don't even know. Maybe it's not based in Dallas. <laughs> Maybe the guy's name is Dallas. I think that might be it. But I don't I, know either, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but like, is that like how much like this one thing can impact the world, which is so much a part of why I love what I do in animation now. And why I kind of moved on from part of why I moved on from the work Tim and I were doing running our own studio was like going to work for Cartoon Network. I knew it was this chance to get involved in shows that were going to be seen all around the world and to be a part of kind of shaping what that was. Knowing that, that kind of impact in the way that TV, film, travel, especially what's made in L.A. Mm -hmm. But then the other part of it for me was like I was in this country and, you know, in a culture that wasn't as familiar for me. And was learning a lot about new things, new people, new places. And in learning about that, I think I realized in a strange way, like how much I didn't know about my own country, my own culture that I grew up in mm -hmm. and came back really wanting to understand that better, which is what led me to work for StoryCorps as a, they call it a facilitator. So you're in a recording booth, kind of like what we're doing here today, except for your in-person and recording just stories from people from everyday people, stories from their lives. Mm -hmm. And so basically the way it worked would be like, I would sit on the side and try to kind of insert myself into the conversation as little as possible. And then like two Two people come in, you know, two friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, whoever that decide that they want, they want to schedule an appointment, come in and they talk about whatever is important to them from their lives and just have like a 45 minute conversation. And then your job is to run the recording equipment, make sure you get a good recording so it can be broadcast on national public radio. And then also because not everybody's like a natural storyteller, but everybody has like a great story to tell you would kind of interject in places where it's like, oh, there's a story there. We got the beginning, we got the middle, but they kind of moved on. And like, let's find a, like, let me ask a couple of questions that could kind of elicit a conversation that would become the ending of this. So it was kind of fun because you were 45 minutes, like real time, trying to create these conversations or, or like, uh, you know, guide these conversations without like running them because that didn't really tend to get the best result in terms of how compelling it was to listen to. But that could become like two or three minute stories. Fantastic. I think I have the book compilation of this, by the way. Oh yeah. There were a few. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you're saying this, I'm like, I think I have yeah. this book or one. Yeah, of them yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's at least two or three books I think that they've published. Yeah. And so for me, I think that was a few things like one, it was an amazing experience in learning storytelling because you're like multiple times a day, you're trying to help people tell their own stories and craft stories <laughs> real time. Yeah, totally. Sure you do. <laughs> You know, and then, um, and then we got to go, uh, you know, one day a week into the studio or office and edit some of the stories that we had recorded into two or three minute 
sorry, so then that was like, like a cool chance to like edit and, and again, like approach storytelling in a new way, which for me is what I, like I ended up doing that in a very roundabout way because of that experience of going to, to teach English as a foreign language. You know, I, I came back, I had studied graphic design and I thought that's what I was going to do when I came back from Istanbul but I felt like I was forcing myself to like update my portfolio and get ready to go out there and look for jobs. And I was kind of just investigating with myself, like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing a thing that I feel like I'm forcing myself to do? And also what is it about design that I like, or what do I want to do with design? Like what's underneath the thing? Kind of question I ask myself a lot and still like now, you know, I feel like I ask and re ask it to myself over my life, over my career is like, Let's imagine that design didn't exist as a career to do. Let's imagine that animation did not exist as a medium and you couldn't be an animation executive. You can make animated shorts. What is it about that that you want to do with that medium or that craft that you could still do some other way if that thing didn't exist? And then maybe there's something in there that you can find out about you know, really what you're trying to do. And that might still lead you then to go do it with design. But what I found was that, you know, for me, I was looking at like trying to use design to like bridge cultural divides or just like connect cultures would be another way to say it. And then another thing that I was in, it was just like storytelling design that like told a story, not just like advertised a product or which you can always say like a, a product, there's a story there, but I mean like more meaty storytelling, I guess I could say. And that kind of also then led me in some roundabout ways to, to work at StoryCorps. And like, I wasn't like, I want to work in documentary storytelling. I want to work in radio or it was more just, I want to be close to somewhere where people are telling stories I'm interested in. And the founder, Dave Isay, had a career in radio journalism before starting StoryCorps. And the stories he was telling were it's like, oh, that's the kind of stories I'd like to see in animation. So, you know... The guy I worked for hired me at Cartoon Network, Curtis Lee Lash, said something I really liked in an interview once was about, he just said, like, find the things you love and get as close to them as possible. And, you know, I think for me it was like, well, I love design, I love animation, but really what I love is, you know, these kinds of meaningful stories is a simple way to put it. And so open myself up a little bit to something I hadn't considered working for StoryCorps because I was compelled by the stories they were telling and just like, let me get closer to that thing. And I'd actually applied for a job as a um, editor, like a, to edit the stories. Cause I had a team that did that as well as the facilitators who do it, take like a first pass and then their editing team would like tie it down and make it, you know, radio ready or whatever. Yeah. And I applied for that job, didn't get it. And they offered me an internship and I was like, young, broke, and living in New York City, not really trying to do an internship that I think paid like $10 an hour or something, or maybe it paid like a $50 a week stipend. I can't, it was like uh, not much, you yeah. know, for 20 hours a week. And then, but I just kind of felt like, I don't know what they're like, there's something about what they're doing here and the stories they're telling and their point of view and what they're trying to bring into the world that like connects to me and what I want to do. And maybe I just need to get in there and find out what it is. And it just like, I never planned then to work as a facilitator, which I mentioned being in the booth. That wasn't my, again, my first job was intern in the department right. that did that. Didn't even know what the job was. And then to make animated shorts, you know, with them. So that wasn't planned. It was really just like, okay, let me get close to something that I feel drawn to, you know? Wow. So that's a beautiful story. And a lot of the questions I was going to ask you answered in that story, which is great. But cool. you said a lot of 
wonderful things. And my main observation is your observation of yourself, Mm. finding moments to continue to ask the questions and observe, not just, you know, the things happening around you or, or whatever those things might be in your life, but actually stopping and observing like how you want to interact with those things now and in the future. I love that because I, again, I relate to that. I had a similar moment where I stopped acting, but that's because I asked that question. What would I do if this didn't exist? Mm-hmm. What kind of artist am I? And what do I care about? And I really do think a lot of these moments that help us get more aligned and closer to the thing that we love is by stopping just for a couple of seconds sometimes to ask those questions of ourselves. You know, why am I really doing this? Or why am I still doing this? Yeah. Or, and maybe the answer stays the same and, and it's affirming, but asking is so important and having space to let go of our identities a little bit. I yeah. think we can over identify sometimes. It's very normal oh, yeah. to do that and, and to go, okay, well, is this who I am or is this something I want to do? Right. Which is different. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I, I, I hear just this beautiful sort of, well, for lack of a better word, like coming of age story in a sense, in <laughs> terms of coming into your artist self, like who yeah. you want to be and how you want to serve yourself in the world as an artist. And you just kind of follow the thread. You're like, well, there's no money in this now, but I think, I think it's still going to be worth it. And I just don't know why yet. Yeah. Yeah. For better or worse, that's driven a lot of my thinking too in life is like, it's always been about what are you excited about? What are you passionate about? What do you want to do? And not necessarily thinking about what the reward is or not financial or otherwise or career wise, any of that kind of stuff. And I think there's been times where I'm like, um, that's the right way to go about it. Cause uh, looking at my bank account right now. And I think yeah. especially like getting that business started with my brother, there was a lot of times we're just like, uh, I can barely afford to pay myself anything right now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't you know, pay myself but, for a long time. Cause I couldn't, you, yeah. 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 You just try to figure out how to kind of keep making it work. And you just feel like so driven and passionate for that thing that you just kind of keep going. But what I've found personally, at least, and I'm, I you know, know that it works out this way for everyone. And it's not hasn't been this way for me consistently all the time. But that like in the long haul, when you keep the like that focus and that consistency of following things based on something bigger than your idea about the industry you're in or the titles you want or the place even necessarily like you want to work or the money you're going to make, but have like some higher reason to the, those decisions you're making like in time with persistence and consistency, I have found myself like take big leaps after long periods of like struggle and, Mm -hmm. and wanting like wanting for, you know, stability, wanting for resources, like economic resources for myself, you know, things like that. And then it's like, oh, suddenly I'm making twice as much as I was yesterday, but it took me five years, you know, and yesterday being literally yesterday, like, it's like, you know, it's the overnight thing people talk about where it's not really overnight, but there is a moment of transition that does Mm -hmm. happen fast. Once all the work has been laid and the pavement's been paved and you've walked, like you said, for those five years to get to that moment. And then it changes. Yeah, I agree. I I witness moments like that in my life as well. When Mm -hmm. I, am in that flow and things can get in the way of that for sure. Speaking of that, how do you stay in that for yourself? How do you stay connected to that? I think one is like, again, better or worse. That's 
I think that's just a little bit of who I am. I think it's a little bit informed by my dad, honestly. So like something that I just picked up young early on i remember there was this time he came home from from work and we we're like all sitting around the dinner table all eight of us <laughs> his six children and my mom and my mom was a stay-at-home mom at the time so all the income in the house was him mm. although in due acknowledgement to my mom everything that she did meant we weren't spending money on you know whatever eating out and cleaning services and whatever so there is a unseen income that came from her too right for sure but the money in the bank came from my dad and he had quit his job, just quit it, didn't have another job. And <laughs> I remember what he said was like, well, uh, guys, you know, um, my job is changing and I don't know how it's going to be changing. And my mom interjects and goes, why don't you just tell him you quit your job and you don't have another one? <laughs> And uh, there was like a good period of time after that where we really struggled um, financially. I mean, and we never had a lot of money and we never did after that either. But the way I describe it is like, you know, we were low enough on the economic scale that we qualified for free lunch at school, but had enough money where my parents could follow like their pride or whatever it was and not take the free lunch at school. Mm. But the reason, the reason he quit his job, he worked at, um, I think at Domino's pizza at the time or for Tom Monahan rather who ran Domino's or like, you know, whatever founded Domino's pizza. And he was working for my dad and my parents are, are like very Catholic. I'm not, but a lot of things that I think positive that I gained out of the experience of growing up in, in that. But he was working as like the editor in chief or whatever you call it for, like a Catholic newspaper that Tom Monahan was publishing. And he just disagreed with him. Like I think on some of like what he wanted to print or talk about or whatever in that. And probably some other kind of disagreements about like, I think it was like he was working too much and not like home enough and like mm -hmm. kind of doing three jobs there. And he didn't want to be doing that either. And so he just quit the job <laughs> and didn't have another one. And I think like what, you know, what I took out of that as like a young kid was kind of like whatever the cost is, do things because you want to be doing them or you believe in them. And then if you don't, don't do it. And that was, I think there, there was, that, that has been something that I haven't forgotten and like lived through as a kid because it really affected us not having like the money that we didn't have after that was like a big deal in the house. You know, wow. one part of it is like, that's just a part of my thinking from something like that as a kid. And then I think another is just like, I like something in one of those books I mentioned before they talked about, it's not so much about like only always doing exactly the stuff that we're talking about right now, like living into your purposes or your principles and all that, but the consistency of that, like how consistent you are or not. And you're going to maybe lose your way and then have to come back or get distracted, come back, make a decision because you felt like you needed money right now. And then, and maybe you did, but then it lost you in some other thing and then come back. So it's just like, you know, I find either moments where something's not satisfying me as much that I check back in myself and kind of ask why, or just like big changes. Like I got laid off at Cartoon Network in November of last year, 2020, um, which is actually good. Like I was totally ready for a change and was in some ways like relieved mm. uh, when I got laid off, except for that. I now have a kid too. So uh, there was a little bit of that, like, Ooh, oh, how are we going to take care of that? But <laughs> I have the trust that that'll work out, you know? And I think too, again, coming from like as a kid, seeing my parents work that stuff out and like we didn't die. Right. 
So a little bit of a trust, like, okay, we'll work that out. No big deal. But I had a really good chance then to like check back in with myself. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, you know, I don't necessarily think of myself like as an animation executive. So now I must go get another job as an animation executive. Although I think there's a lot about what that job is that speaks to me and is like activates what I'm good at and probably in a lot of ways the best job I ever had and and in part because of the ways it aligns with what I seek out. But yeah, I just kind of went back to a lot of those life experiences and thinking about them, what they meant to me, you know, going back to Turkey. What was that about? Why was that such a big deal for me? Why did I choose to do that? Writing things down about that, talking to people about that, you know, going back to books that I've read that I've mentioned here in this conversation a little bit, but other ones and like maybe not rereading the whole thing, but I take a lot of notes, like going back to my notebooks and like seeing what Mm -hmm. pops off the page to me, going back to sections that I've like, know, like, Oh, that thing about principles, like that's a big thing to me. Let me reread that part of that book and see like if I've forgotten a piece of it or like, let me refocus on that. Yeah. And just like revisit those things when, you know, hopefully I I think it'd be ideal if I was just always in that all the time or, you know, like very consistently, but I think I tend to get like overwhelmed by all of the other things of life and have to kind of like have a moment that makes me do that or have some space like mental space and like where I feel relaxed and not as overwhelmed and go like, Oh, I'm going to use this time to think, but I'll kind of like wrap this part of my response to what you're asking up with this, which is that in that most recent moment where I had a chance to go back and think about some of this stuff, it was interesting for me because, you know, we were talking about like purpose, principles, and it was easier for me to think about that and more important in my mind, I'll say at the time, to think about that for a business because it's like, well, we've got clients. We've got to figure out why clients are right or wrong for us. And when I took the job at Cartoon Network, it was clearly right to me. I had like kind of my three reasons why. I knew exactly why I wanted that job. And then, again, this most recent time when I was reinvestigating some of this stuff, I realized like, okay, oh, this is a good chance for me to try to kind of do more in depth like what I did for our business for myself. And I came up with some kind of like realizations and through lines to decisions in my life and things that I try to personally do, which aligned with business decisions or what that business was and with what Cartoon Network was for me. But then others that were like not necessarily as evident to me in those, at least like consciously, that when I thought about it more and considered it more came out to me. And part of it was you know, putting together a presentation for Cartoon Network Latin America, who I was interested to try to find a way to work with. And they were, you know, interested as well. And so I put together kind of a presentation about myself for them. And in doing that, and was also kind of doing this for myself already, had to kind of like formalize it and put it into like clear words and clear terms to present to somebody and kind of try to sell myself, I guess. And uh, what I realized in doing that was interesting to me was that I was like, okay, you know, a big part, I'm looking at my notes on the side here, because uh, I, I thought, oh, maybe this will be relevant to our conversation. Yeah. That, I'll just read this first line that was in the presentation I gave them. I help people boldly share their stories with the world. In our global and multicultural era, I work to discover, support, and amplify the most original and authentic voices, and I collaborate across cultures to entertain, inspire, and inform audiences worldwide. Because in a world thirsting for connection, we're united by using our unique creative perspectives to tell our most personal stories. And I think like kind of when I revisit a lot of those experiences of like why go to Turkey, you know, I'm I'm teaching kids English. That is a part of like how to 
express their voices, share their voices with the one that's connecting across cultures. When I was working sure. at StoryCorps, I'm helping people, everyday people, share their stories with each other and then ultimately with a national audience if, they're, you know, if their story happens to be on edited for, for radio. Not all of them were. But, and so then when I went to Cartoon Network working as an executive, the job there really is you're working with show creators who've had the show idea, they put it in development, it got greenlit to series, and that's where I would come in. And then I would, you know, I'll just say like my job was to support them and support the success of their show, uh, to put it simply. And to me, like in a lot of ways, that goes right back to, you know, what my job was at StoryCorps. It's just a different version of the same kind of idea, I guess. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this, like, I think you, you like, too, for me is like going back to like times when you weren't confused. <laughs> you get, I think you get confused, like as you, and sometimes maybe even more confused, which is at least for, this has worked this way for me. Like the further along I get in my career in life, I sometimes find myself more confused, <laughs> um, which doesn't seem like it should be that way. But I think like a lot of other things come in to play and other voices and mm-hmm. other motivations, whether it's like, how am I going to take care of my baby now? I'm not just thinking for myself. Like, oh, now I have this job in this industry in LA that's very contained and very specific and stands to reason. The next thing you're looking for is the same kind of job, but somewhere else. Yeah. And you lose the clarity you had, like even as a kid sometimes, And so that was another thing that I think I kind of reconnected with a bit, like in this kind of past three investigation of all this stuff for me was like just going back to being a kid and like, what was I thinking about? What did I care about? What did I think I wanted to do? You know, and a couple quick thoughts on that was like, and I think you can ask yourself these questions and like write to yourself as a kid or like ask yourself as a kid, like, what should I do now? Yes. I, that's an exercise I use. So I'm yeah, all for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so like I'll share two quick reflections and I don't know if like this is going to like where you, like this is a yeah. useful conversation or what. I have a lot of thoughts that I'll, I'll comment when you're, but I want cool. you to continue. So I'll just thinking about like going back to my kid self, you know, two things that come to mind for me are one, you know, so I've always liked to draw a lot or I did. That's not what I do now, but that was all I wanted to do as a kid. And one of the earliest drawings that I can remember, and I think like the things you remember, you remember for reasons. And then like, you have to think about why do I remember that? Mm. And so one of the earliest drawings I can remember as a kid was probably like around first grade or so, maybe second, third, I had drawn a picture of Martin Luther King. And I remember it to me, two reasons I really liked it, I guess, as a kid. One was like, I thought it was like really technically good, you know, like was I was, I surprised myself at like how much it looked like him or whatever. And I was like, Whoa, that's so cool. I'm so proud of that. And like, I think it was, you know, it was put up in the hallway at school somewhere with like other drawings kids had done. And so also like that pride of like, that's my drawing. People can see my work and like see me for something I feel I'm good at. And I want to share and like do for other people to see. So there was that part of it. And then also like, I really identified with what the word would be, like kind of responded to the story of, you know, who Martin Luther King was, which I'm sure like was one of the first times I was learning about that at that age. And so kind of reconnecting to this thing I was saying about getting started in animation, wanting to like tell stories that mattered, that had impact, that put something else into the world that was like, you know, you could do a drawing just because it looks beautiful and that's totally legitimate. I love that, like being involved with in that where possible, but I think I don't feel complete or fully fulfilled if that's the only thing I'm involved with. So I also have to have this other piece of like 
things that are telling stories or have some connection to something that has like more deep meaning, more like human impact. And so I think that's what that drawing was to me too. You know, and then the other thing was that going back to kind of that kid time is my brother and I had a paper out and we saved up money and like, we're trying to figure out how to make cartoons. Even then then, we were trying to like buy animation software. But a lot of what I did at the time was like, how can I help? This is even maybe a better example. I would take Tim's drawings to school and like sell them to other kids. (laughs) Um, Already starting a business. (laughs) Yeah. And like get like commissions from kids at school. Like, Oh, what do you like? You know, Oh, he likes football. Okay. Well, who do you like? I'm going to get Tim to draw that, you know, football player or something, you know, Uh, or like Tim did a really cool drawing of Mark Twain. And I'm like, who, what kid cares about a drawing of Mark Twain? But I get, go to school, try to figure out like who wants to buy this drawing of of Mark Twain for 25 cents or whatever it was. Wow. And so that to me is like a couple of things. Like one, I identified early on that he was better at drawing than me, at least at that age. And like, I kind of early on was like, Oh, how can I help him? You know? And how can I earn money? Because we didn't have much money. I was a driver as a kid from that thing. And so I feel like that's still like what I do now. And maybe that's why is like help other people who are really talented as artists connect with an audience that wants to see their work, that wants to pay for their work, you know, or reward them somehow for the work that they do. So anyway, I feel like that's a thing that's really valuable to do is go back to those times when you weren't confused and you were just acting more purely and more out of like gut and emotion and interests and passion and whatever and not kind of all the other things that make it harder to understand what you're doing and why you know yeah that's beautiful and i agree it's it's something that we can do as as an exercise for sure is to to check back in with the eight-year-old self eight-year-old version of ourselves and Mm -hmm. ask that child questions about our lives that we're living now is a really fun sort of perspective shift too, and and hearkening back on what that child was in love with and passionate about and looking yeah. towards and kind of going, Hey, did I check any of these boxes and am I way off track here? Or have I just grown in different ways? You know, I love that as a check-in number one, I'm also hearing that, which is common for a lot of creative people. And I think anyone too, it's just the structure, having the, the moments in our lives where structure shows up for us to kind of work these things out. Like, like you were saying, when you were starting your business, it gave you kind of an excuse to do some of that homework, right? Or when you're doing this presentation, you shared with us the introduction to gives us an opportunity to reflect in ways that maybe we wouldn't, if we didn't have a reason to just new ways to kind of perform our work self-work. I feel like creativity is very connected to self-work. We have to check in with ourselves a little differently than maybe different types of work that is out there. So I think that's very relatable as a a creative person too. It's like, these are the tools. So I'm kind of just outlining the tools you just distilled down for us through the story is, you know, check back in with yourself, ask the questions, always ask the questions. Structure is a good thing, you know, find ways to where that might live for you. And you know, we probably have the answers that we're looking for. It, they're just, I'll inside. say we do like, it's no question, you know, yeah. you do, you totally have the answers. Yeah. You know, it's just like allowing yourself to accept the answers and like find the answers and kind of like just let go of judgment and questions and doubts and just like trust the truth and the answers that are totally there inside you and like give yourself space and time 
to like clear out the confusion, clear out the mess, clear out like all of the life stuff around you and just find that stuff and then stick with it, you know, because you do, you get like into the work and then you start losing your way. You stop trusting yourself. You stop listening to those voices and it's very easy to have that happen. And and that's normal Mm -hmm. too, right? It's going to happen. It's okay. It's just a matter of finding the pillars, like what we just talked about to kind of look to, to find the right answers again that you have, like you said, you're right. We have those answers. It's just knowing when to reflect again or ask the question again or yeah, realign pause for a moment. Yeah. And the earlier, the better, Yeah, right? You mentioned Brandy earlier and I listened to the episode that you had her on. Yeah. And I she's remember so when smart. She, she's so wise for, she's for being, very, yes, yeah. <laughs> all of that and more. And she, when she was thinking about going off on that, like tour around the world and leaving this job that she was building up to and had tons of potential in and everybody knew that and she heard that from people and but like I feel like I think a version of what I think I said to her at the time I hope I this is <laughs> was kind of like and, and I had this conversation with her actually before I heard her on your podcast we caught up and that's how she started you know working with me as an, a virtual assistant again very recently it was like I just said hi how oh. she was doing but she helped me see at that time, just so this past year, like, oh, the thing I told you to do, like, I need to <laughs> do for myself again. And I think the thing I said there at that time was something, first, when she talked to me the first time, and then second, when we just recently spoke, I told her, because she's like, oh, should I do this? Should I not go do this thing? And I was like, well, yes, you should. And also, like, it's only going to get harder to make those kinds of decisions for yourself. Like, and if you don't start doing that now, don't think you're somehow later going to start creating that habit. For, I mean, you can. Like, it's never too... You start at some point. But, like, I kind of wanted to just emphasize to her that, like, if you're feeling that feeling, go do that thing. Because if you're going to wait till another time when it feels more right or when whatever conditions are going to happen to let yourself act on the feelings and passions that you have, that time's probably not going to come. There's going to be no perfect time. And you have to build the habit of acting on whatever the consequences are, like leaving a job that's going great for you or whatever that you have tons of potential in, like spending, I know she likes spent of savings that she had, like those decisions don't get easier. And what does make them easier is like making them <laughs> and, and like making a habit of acting on that stuff. And the earlier, the better in your career, in your life, whatever, not that it's ever too late. Cause it, I don't believe that it ever is. Yeah. It just gets a little more challenging, but I found, cause I've always thought that way and worked that way. I think pretty consistently as we were talking about, but I was talking to Brandy. Yeah. This past year. And as I was talking to her, I kind of realized like, a thing, at least for me, which is that although I've had that habit and I believe I've succeeded now at like reminding myself and going back to the habit and, you know, operating off of that, I was letting like a lot of things about the most recent phase of my career, the past five years working at Cartoon Network, get a little bit too much in the way of like my thinking about whatever to do next, Mm. where like I was now kind of like you feel like you've accomplished something more. Now you're whatever I am, like 12 years into like a career trajectory. And, you know, you don't feel so like under the radar, like nobody has any idea who you are or what you're doing. So it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you change paths. It doesn't matter if you do something stupid and fail. It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank. And now it felt like a little bit more like, oh, it matters now. I'm like, have a path. I do. I stay on the path. If I don't stay on the path, can I come back to the path? Like, 
if I like whatever I do next doesn't work, more people will notice. Oh, that sucks. You know, like, yeah. All of yeah. that stuff. It just gets for me, if anything, it only possibly gets harder <laughs> as you go along. If you haven't built those, um, just cause you get more invested in more of the choices you've made. Those are true reasons that I didn't expect or really cognitively anticipate either as I just got older and moved through life and mm-hmm. making decisions. And it's true. Like the habit forming part, it's like any other thing you want to do. The more moments you have doing it, the less you have fear around doing that because you'll yeah. prove to yourself. It's the trust. The theme here is trust. I want to say that because it seemed to be what the lesson you learned from your father at that early age and kind of just, that was the big takeaway. Like we survived that and it wasn't that bad. Like, you yeah. know what you're capable of and what your family was capable of. And what a wonderful thing for your father to have, have made that decision. And I'm sure there were fears around and for your mom and, you know, the parents yeah. and that's the scenario of like, this feels irresponsible or whatever yes. we put on layered on to those types of things. Yeah. Not to put words in anyone's mouth, but yeah. knowing that what you walked away with was such a big, big, valuable lesson that you got yeah. to live your life truly in a trusting yourself fashion that I had to work at personally, Mm -hmm. just looking at my upbringing and and different influences that we have. But the more I choose myself, the much easier it gets. It took me a while to get there, to get to a place where I could jump off the cliff and not completely panic, (laughs) you know? It it does get harder and it does become this thing of, oh, well, now I've built all of this. Is this who I am now? Like, is this my only choice? And does anyone care if I change my mind? Also true. And it's there's two parts of it for me to what you were just talking about. Like one, I think totally that experience I had. Yes. And and for them, their version of it was like, we trust in God, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. we'll pray and like, God's going to work this out for us or whatever. However, they would say my thing would be like, my trust is just like, I'm just trusting the world. I don't know uh, that things are going to work out. I'm trusting by observation. Things tend to work out. So that's trusting like circumstances, I guess, or something like that. The thing that was hard for me as a growing up about this trust piece, because I think that's one thing to trust as just, I don't know, again, I'll just call it circumstances or something. Mm-hmm. It w- was more on a personal level because growing up in that religious household, there were certain expectations of like, what's right, what's wrong, what's you know, who are you supposed to be or not be? And I think that stuff is a heavy weight on me still today in trusting myself to be myself. Like I I have a very hard time taking jobs. I don't like, I have a very hard time, you know, seeing things happen around me that I don't like to other people, Mm -hmm. but I have a much harder time still now. And that's something I've probably been working on, especially in the past few years and maybe even a lot, you know, more than ever in the past year of like trusting myself to be myself and be okay with, myself and who I am and who I want to be and how I want to express myself and be comfortable with that. Because I think I had a lot to do a lot of like, kind of, I don't know if I had to, but I certainly felt like it, like to suppress parts of that stuff to be kind of like safe in the family based on my parents' expectations kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, I think all of that is so huge to like allowing your creativity, allowing your passions to be what drives you and all of that stuff. So true. And that's a huge layer is the role in the family. We we carry that with us into life and then really determining where that fits and if it still does or doesn't as we grow as humans, as people. And it's a process. It is. And it's ongoing. And I think that is 
once we can accept that all of this is a process, it becomes a little easier versus outcome would be the opposite of that, I suppose. Totally. Yeah. All of that said, if there was one thing that you would want someone to know about the creative journey, like, what do you think is the biggest takeaway? I'm hearing I'll trust. just go with trust. Yeah. Right? Well, I'm, I'll go with trust in what came to my mind when you said that instead of trying to think about, like I do sometimes too much thinking, oh, well, that's not the right answer. <laughs> and that thought that came to me is love yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's a big part of it. That's really beautiful. <laughs> I'm trying not to tear up right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel a little bit that way. Going back to that story about like my dad and just fam- like that family stuff growing up, like I'm feeling like a little bit like I want to cry. So, well, <laughs> which if you too. find those things, like though, that's the good stuff. Like that's yeah. where the answers are for you about like what you should be doing or not doing. You know, yeah, creatively, just... career wise, your personal relationships, like if you're not like finding that stuff coming up for yourself or those kinds of reactions, like you probably haven't, you're still needing to like dig around a little bit more to figure out what the answers are. Yeah. Even okay. if we're just talking about like the business you're trying to, to found or run yeah. or the, yeah, the career you're trying to build. And business is personal. It's very personal, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. And we build, you know, barriers around some of those memories sometimes to protect ourselves from having the raw moment like this, but it's, I'm definitely do. Yeah, we all do in, <laughs> in, in certain parts. So the answer might still be in that memory. It might just need a little focus and openness. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you for sharing all of that and for talking to us so openly about your journey and, and what it means to you. And I think it was very honest and relatable. I think everything you said for me was very relatable and I know that others will feel the same way. Great. Thank you. It was super fun talking with you. You too. Is there a way we can connect with you? Let's see. I guess these days probably the best is just LinkedIn. Um, (laughs) Mike Rauch, R-A-U-C-H. I feel like I'm not that active on just like social media handles these days. I'm also on Instagram, Mike Rauch, if you want to find me there. R-A-U-C-H again. But I just, I post a lot of like pictures of my baby <laughs> and well, I want to see that. <laughs> you know, photos of the world or whatever. I don't know. Sure. So, and then if you just want to see some of the work that I did with my brother, you know, early on when we were getting started, rouchbrothers.com is a good kind of one stop place to go find some of that. R-A-U-C-H and then brothers all spelled out.com. Perfect. That's where I found your wonderful ideals, which yeah. if someone wants to read the rest of them, they're there. I actually really like your website. Thanks. Even though I know it's fun. I always love hearing that because I made it and I've taught myself HTML and all of that to do it. So that's awesome. That's hard. <laughs> so yes, well, it is. So well it done. Is. And just real quick, what I know that you're not, you're doing something new now. You're not at, yeah. at Cartoon, Cartoon Network. Network. So do you want to just tell us real quickly what you're yeah. working on? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So I'm working now as a consultant for development and production of animated series, most specifically, but maybe just say animation in general. And I'm working with both kind of initially first two clients have been Buck, who are more known for their work in advertising. So they work with a lot of like names you'd recognize of like Apple and Facebook, mm-hmm. Spotify, among others. And they're working now to get into making original content like TV series, animated TV series. So helping them figure out how to do that for their business and do it in a way that still stays true. I think a big, you know, thing for them is how do we do this and keep intact, like what this business is about and why we're here and what we're here for. Yeah. 
So working with them to figure that out and then also working with Cartoon Network Latin America, right. kind of consulting on both like creative side of some work that they have not yet announced, but are doing. And then on the production side, helping the studio that's doing that, who's brand new to producing series and uh, working to kind of put together some instruction for them on how to produce their first series, which is really fun. And that's been a great way to kind of activate this interest I have and kind of like, I guess, connecting more across cultures and helping people from wherever they might be, you know, share their stories with the world. So it's been a lot of fun. And it's really cool opportunity to take what I learned in the kind of like corporate network world of Cartoon Network and go back to these more independent, you know, experiences and, and help people in that way. So. That's lovely. Um, thank you. Just thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for sharing with us as candidly as you did and dropping all your knowledge. <laughs> thanks for inviting me. And thanks for this podcast. It's like exactly the theme people need. Be bold again. And um, thanks to Brandy. <laughs> thanks to Brandy. <laughs> and thank you for saying that. I, I truly appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you for listening to Be Bold Begin. Make sure to catch our Thursday Small Shifts episodes for five-minute self-reflective small questions that follow a theme in a guided meditation style. Also be sure to click the follow button or check mark for Beeple Begin on your favorite podcast app to add it to your library so each episode downloads automatically. And if you'd like to stay connected for workshops and all Beeple Begin offers, and get a free guide to working with fear and imposter syndrome, you can go to fearimposter.avanthousemedia.com or click the link in the show notes. Stay safe and keep creating.